have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Hi, I'm Will Harridge. And I'm an audio engineer. But you would not believe the amount of mediocre voice actors I get in on the daily. It's scary, honestly. I always want to recommend them to Elise Bowman, who's the best voice acting coach I know. But I'm always afraid I'm going to offend them and be out of a job. Thankfully, I send the best ones over to her anyway over at EliseCoaches.com, and they keep coming back. Hi, I'm one of the mediocre talents that Will has to work with. And really, I'm thinking about looking up Elise myself. Go look at Elise Coaches today and start your career without ending mine. What he said. Coming to you from the heart of Music City in Nashville, Tennessee, straight out of the Flynn Hendricks Enterprises Studios. This is the I Know You Hear Me podcast with Flynn Hendricks. And this week, he's got you another awesome guest on the line. So let's go ahead and kick it over to Flynn. Welcome back, everybody. We got another awesome episode of the I Know You Hear Me podcast, but I'm not alone this time. I've actually got a co-host here in studio and get used to this guy's voice because you're going to be hearing him a lot more with me. Not only in studio is it Flynn Hendricks, I've also got Jeff. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeff. And just to kind of give you some background here, uh, Jeff and I are going to be starting a podcast based off our experiences as scare actors with haunted houses. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we're going to be bringing to light with you guys. We're going to have interviews with other scare actors. We're going to have interviews with haunt managers, what it takes to get into the haunting world, and just a bunch of things that people don't really think about. So be on the lookout for that because I guarantee there's going to be something for everybody in that podcast as well. But now, without further ado, I have to thank each and every one of you for not only tuning in again, because here we are in season two, this is episode two, but you guys tune in, you guys share, you guys spread the word about this podcast, and you've kept it going for over half a year now, and we're honestly just getting started, and today's guest is further proof of that. But before we get to him, I've got to thank our sponsors as well for coming on and keeping this show afloat so that I can bring you awesome guests like I've got here today. And so Jeff and I can start our sister podcast to this one. But without further ado, I've got a guest here that I am excited for you guys to hear a conversation with. Jeff is going to be chiming in on it as well. This guy is not only a father, he is a husband. He's a stand-up comedian. He was a former podcast host as well. This guy, I cannot recommend you go check out his stuff enough. It is my pleasure to have on the show tonight, Lance Adams. Lance, how are you? Oh, thank you, Flynn. I'm doing wonderful, man. It was a big honor when Jeff reached out and asked me if I don't want to do this. So thank you for having me. Man. Absolutely. Really and it's my pleasure. But like I was telling you before we started rolling here, if this guy makes a suggestion for somebody I got to have as a guest, man, I'm taking him at his word. And now like, I was doing a deep dive on your stuff before we got started here and... 
there's already so much common ground that we've got to jump in on. And like, I'm just, I'm excited to get going here. I kind of saw that too. It's only been a week since yeah. we even really knew of each other's existence, I guess. Exactly. So, you know, friend requests back and forth. And so you do get to the weeks where the post and I was like, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Nope. I think we're good. I think we're, I think we're kindred. I, I get it. Yes, sir. So, yeah. I saw uh, several things that uh, I thought we would hit off on. So absolutely. Thank you for me. Again, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a validation whore as all performers <laughs> are. So, uh, I, I'm always happy to take a gig and uh, come and hang out and talk because uh, talking is what I do best. So absolutely, man. I think coming from the wrestling background, that was probably my strong suit too. So we're going to have some fun here, but uh, man, let's talk about you for a minute. Like, Take me back to the very beginning. Like, where did you find your love for not only like stand up comedy, but for performing and just the love of wrestling that came into all that too? Like, take me back to the very beginning on that. So, I, again, being, you know, born in 76, I was uh, lucky enough to be a kid in the great era of both. So, I've been a stand up comic fan and a, a wrestling fan since childhood. I, I was really Bobby Hill as a kid. If you really nice. think about it, that, was, that was me as a kid. I was basically Bobby Hill. And so, I, cause it really was that sort of childhood for me. And so, I love stand up comedy because at that time, Netflix wasn't a thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Showtime and HBO were the big times. If you got a stand up comedy special there. But, Every channel Friday nights would show stand up comedy. MTV had a stand up comedy show. VH1 had a stand up comedy show. NBC would show stand up comedy. You would see it late at night. You know, HBO would, and Showtime would rerun these specials constantly. So it was everywhere in an era pre internet when things being everywhere wasn't always the case. Because as a wrestling fan, there was a time when wrestling wasn't everywhere. And so again, I, I was lucky enough to be a kid at that time where it was just becoming everywhere. Where you had the golden era of the, you know, the Hulk Hogan versus mm-hmm. Roddy Pipers and the Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling cartoons. And, you know, and it was, it was still magical because of the pre internet. We really thought dead people could fight magical warriors. <laughs> yeah. and so it had more of a, and it was a more fun time. And so I, I was blessed to be Bobby Hill at that time when both of those things that I loved were at what I think was their best. Um, I remember instinctively. When people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Those were the two answers that I always gave. I always want to be a pro wrestler. I always want to be a stand-up comedian. Man, I and love so, that. Um, I just never let that love die. And, you know, went through life loving those things and, and being, um, you know, just a nerdy kid. Played a lot of D&D. Was a big sci-fi fan before, mm-hmm. you know, it was okay. Um, and always loved kind of oddball B-movies. Just terrible trash TV. And so I, I just had kind of these oddball quirks and enjoyment. And, and out of all of it, stand-up comedy wrestling just always were constant. They were always there, things that I loved, things that I always turned to. Um, and then, uh, you know, never honestly thought I could ever do any either, but that's what I always wanted to do. And so I, I guess I guess just got lucky to be the right age to just have the prime time for both. Absolutely. Now, when with all this going on, how were your parents when they realized that you're gravitating towards the wrestling and the comedy? Like, are they supportive of that when you tell them that yeah. that's what you want to do? Again, my dad was Hank Hill. I mean, that's really, he didn't care. He just thought it was weird. But my mom, being Peggy, was super supportive because I was a band geek. Same so, here. You know, hey, I want to I want to play the saxophone. Okay, great. We'll work overtime. We'll, you know, pawn whatever we have to do to buy you a saxophone so you can do that. Cool. Hey, I need, you know, shoes for the marching band. Okay, we'll figure out how to happen. We'll work extra shifts. We'll do whatever. So, no, they were always real cool. I got into theater. Never thought anything about it. In high school, again, I was a band geek. 
you know, uh, was in theater and did some plays, never thought anything about it, went on about life, didn't do anything artistically at all for a decade, was, you know, uh, in my early 20s, you know, bounced around from jobs, actually was a bouncer at a club for a while, did a few things. Um, nothing crazy. Moved to Nashville, pick up music, and actually being a guitar player. But I got a band and loved it. Absolutely loved it. It has its problems. Anybody that's ever been in a band tells you it's great. But there's fighting, infighting with bands, and there's hey, we should do it this way, and no, the chorus should go ba da ba da ba ba ba. Or hey, I can't practice today because my girlfriend wants to hang out, and so that's a big pain. But I loved it, so I did that for a while. So I had again performing badges of honor. You know, mm-hmm. I had you know I checked off certain things. Then years later was working for a, a retail company with a friend of mine who I had been friends with years before who did stand-up comedy and did it like locally. And we had meetings in Nashville where we'd have to go, you know, we were in East Tennessee. And, and so we had to go to the corporate meetings and all the other managers were like, yeah, neither one of us are riding with you guys because you talk too much. You guys have to ride together. <laughs> and, and we were both like, all right, fine. All right, we get. And he would tell me stories about stand-up comedy and the stand-up comedy scene. And I was, I just sit there like Brandy listening to him tell his sailor stories, just like starry eyed, you know? And I hit a point in my life, my wife and I had been together for a long time. We had lost a child and uh, life had just hit a real bottom. We were separated. I was homeless, living in my car, couldn't see her, couldn't see the kids. Um, It was a real bad time for me. And I was really at my lowest. I was traveling with Jeff and he was telling stories. And I was like, man, God, I'd love to do it. That's my lifelong dream. You know, for the first time in 20 years, I ever thought about it. He was like, you should come do it. He was like, I don't encourage people to do it often, but I think you'd be great at it. You should come and do it. And I was like, well, okay. I thought about it for a couple of days and finally just really was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I called him up and said, hey, Jeff, I want to do this. I want to I want to sign up for these. Because the thing about stand-up comedy, a lot like wrestling is, you don't really know where to start. There is no application. There's no job application. Mm-hmm. There's no ad in the, the, the wanted section. You don't go to Craigslist. You, you really don't know where to start. And so with stand-up comedy, it's as simple as you just go. You sign your name on a piece of paper and get on stage. But I didn't know that. And so I called Jeff and I said, hey, I want to do this. And he was like, all right, tomorrow night at eight, be at this bar. And I was panicked. I was like, oh, it's not like months from now. I like, you don't sign up tomorrow at eight. I've got 24 hours to write my set. Um, And so I'm at work uh, in a shoe store, putting up shoes in the back, just like, all right, what do you get when you cross up? Uh, What's the deal with airline food? And just writing my first set, rehearsed it and just went, did my very first set. I get there actually before that, I guess I get there that first time. I don't know anybody but Jeff. He's the only person I know. Um, not this lovely Jeff, another person. <laughs> right, <Jeff>. right. <laughs> We're like, like oh, you holding out on me over here? Not me. But I get there. I don't know anybody. I've never been to an open mic. I don't know how this works. He just tells me where to show up. I don't even know where the place is. I finally find it. I get there. I walk up and on stage is um, just a, who ended up being a local legend, just a pillbilly white trash not off in the middle of his set and he was just not funny but he was reading from an old composition notebook had a notebook on hand on stage reading from it what do you get when you cross uh and i just had a, a an epiphany i just went well if he can do this I, I can do this and i went on stage i did my six minutes it lasted six minutes which it much like wrestling is is a hard thing to learn there's a yeah. timing there where you go, hey, we've got to fill X amount of time. And anybody who's never stepped on a stage doesn't understand. Time has no meaning. Five seconds may have been 10 minutes. And what you think is 10 minutes could have been 30 seconds. Exactly. Exactly. 
And so I walked off having done my set. I think I've got it recorded. I've actually got my very first set recorded somewhere. I was blessed to get that. And I think it's like five minutes and 30 seconds. So it is, it is like six minutes is what I had. Uh, all the jokes I meant to do, I did. They all at least sounded right. I walked off just loving it. I was like, this is great. I, I love it. And that's been eight years ago. I, I just kept doing it. My wife and I, like I said, were separated at the time. She heard you know, through the, the my, my, my family that I was doing it, I was able to let it be cathartic enough to let me start to get some therapy. I started to get some medication. And so I started to become a better person. She heard that I was following my dreams. And through that, we slowly began to actually put our marriage back together. And because of stand-up comedy today, I sleep in the bed next to my wife down the hall from my kids versus eight years ago, I was sleeping in my PT cruiser. So man, that is some powerful stuff. Like, God, like, man, I don't even know like where to begin with that. Like that, that's so powerful that that turned everything around. Like, I don't even know like if I could function if something like that happened. Yeah, 100% stand-up comedy changed my life. Um, you know, and it may never make me rich. It may never make me famous, but it definitely changed my life. It, 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 it affected everything. Cause like I said, when I first started, I was sleeping in my car. I, I was uh, not a good person and it just allowed me to do something and, and light a light inside. And it was, you know, it was everything I needed at that moment. And it's been a rough ride, uh, but I still love it. It's a lot of work like a wrestling. It's a, it's a, actually what's funny is, and I think you'll appreciate this. Somebody who does wrestling and as a Mark who knows how the, the it really works, mm-hmm. having never done it. The two arts and I use the word art correctly, and it sucks that they don't get included in performing arts. Thank you. We never do. The two never do. The two performing arts have more in common than any other performing art out there. 100%. And that's, I got to say, too, like, I haven't wrestled a match since 2018 at the time that we're recording this. About a year after that, I was still looking for that performance itch. So I, I started doing improv. It's absolutely insane how much wrestling and improv go hand in hand together. And again, too, like how I met Jeff being a scare actor, how much wrestling and scare acting go hand in hand with each other. Like, sure. I don't know enough about scare acting to speak on that one, but I would say so because the same reason that I say comedy and wrestling go together. One, they're the only two performing arts that you can't practice without an audience. Absolutely. They're the only two performing arts that have to be scripted to a point, but look completely unscripted. Yes. They uh, are the two performing arts that can change on a dime and are 100% impacted by the audience surrounding it. Absolutely. They're the only performing arts you are willing to heckle. That's the truth. That is the truth. And its formation is different. They're the only two arts you have to prove yourself. Every wrestler wants to be fought, wants somebody, everybody, they walk in a bar, everybody wants to fight them. Because you're the tough guy. Every comedian told me a joke. Yep. Why do I have to tell you a joke? So, like, you don't walk up to an artist and say, draw me something. Because you, the minute somebody tells you I paint or I'm an artist, you believe them instantly. But I tell you I'm a comedian, and you tell me to tell you a joke because I have to prove to you I'm funny on the spot and defend my art. If you're a wrestler, you walk into a bar, hey, you're a big tough guy, I'll fight you. Because you have to defend your art yep. because of what you are. And that was definitely a thing, too, around the time that you got into it. Because a lot of those old territory guys, if you got into a fight at a bar or if somebody challenged you, 
you had to win that fight or you didn't have a job in that territory the next day. Very closely related. And like yes. I said, it sucks in the, that they're not considered performing arts, but they are. They very much are. Very much so. And I mean, I've, like I said, I've never set foot in a ring, but being a huge mark and, and being backstage at some shows and watching people work and knowing how it works, I've seen enough to just go, oh, it's, it's so much like comedy. It really is. Because we have to go out there with a plan. Mm-hmm. We go, hey, in the time thing, I got this much time to fill, so I'm going to do this joke this move, this joke, this move, this transition, here we go, this bump, we'll get this pop, and then we'll be here. Absolutely. I mean, that's spot on right there. Like, I can't even add to that. Like, that is exactly it. And then on top of that, too, like, well, I guess I could add to it. If something goes wrong, you have to be able to ad lib mm-hmm. on the fly or... You know, a joke may not hit the way you expect it to, so you've got to roll with that, or somebody heckles you, so you've got an opportunity right there, even. Yeah, and sometimes it's things you can control, like you can slip up on a word, you can miss a spot, right? Yep. And so at that point, you're like, we've got to improv and go. We can't just go, oh, hey, my bad, I said this, but I meant to say this. You can't stop the fight and be like, I meant to punch him, and he was supposed to duck. It doesn't work that way. Nope. the, The main difference is, Pro wrestling obviously gives you that other person to work with. Yes. Which adds a different element that stand-up comedy doesn't. Because, again, having been a musician, going into stand-up comedy, I felt like an ROTC kid joining the Army. Mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, like I had a few understandings. Like, I knew how some of this worked. I'm a few ranks ahead, but I'm obviously still at the bottom. Because there were some things that being in front of an audience, you just know how to do that. All, All of those performing soft skills work the same. If you've been an actor in theater, if you've been a wrestler, you've been a comedian, you've been a musician, you've obviously already got that stage fright cherry busted so either of the other ones you move to you have a soft skill that translates Very so I some of that but there's a big difference especially with like music to comedy because with music like you can go to a bar and nobody can give a shit and it's the work yeah you can't do comedy to people talk like you have to have attention people cannot ignore a, you know a narcissistic asshole with a microphone you can ignore a metallica cover band and the other difference is like the highs are higher, but the lows are lower. Like when I do good, it's all me. I don't yep. share that with you. I don't. I don't have to share the glory. That is a hundred percent me. I get to ride that wave. When I fail, I can't blame it on the bass player for you know messing up. Yeah, I'm out there on my own and I fail. So again, the highs are higher, but the lows are lower. But I, I love it. I mean, I like playing music still, but and I love comedy. I just, I love doing it. Uh, there's just a thrill. It's, it's a validation for, you know, just like being a wrestler, I'm sure the minute you get that good pop, that's just, it's a drug for yep. people that have never been in front of an audience, never got that much validation from strangers. Um, I, I, you know, I'd love to get it on a wrestling form. I, I, I love wrestling. I always wanted to do it physically now. Obviously, I'm far past the point to do that, but I'm sure that pop of that moment, whether it's good or bad, getting booed as a heel. That's, that's my alley right there. Hmm. Hmm. I love it. And I, I, love it. I may be speaking a little bit early, but I may have some things coming up your way um, within the next year. So we'll definitely keep in touch and see if we can't yeah, make something sure. happen. Because you're only in, in Nashville, right? You're in yes, East sir. Tennessee, middle Tennessee. Yep. Again, love it. I live in East Tennessee, so we're not too far away. Nashville's home to us. We live Absolutely. How I, I met our Jeff here because we used to work together in East Tennessee. Yep. Man, so that was, that was yep. going to be one of my questions down the road here, how you guys met. So. Smoke dick. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when you say like you took some time off, like, uh, you know, in your early 20s and everything and you weren't performing, you weren't in a band or anything and you were just, you know, doing different jobs and everything. Did you have that sense of like feeling unfulfilled, not doing something 
in a performance like type setting, like music or comedy down the road? Like, did you feel like when you finally did that first stand up, did you feel that sense of fulfillment that you may have not even realized you were missing at that point? Oh yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, I, I guess I take it back. Not at that point. I knew there was something there, but from the point that I hadn't done anything in my twenties and and, and you know, really always kind of wanted to, so didn't know there was a need there. Again, I started playing in a band, a little power a trio, just Black Sabbath covers and stuff, uh-huh. um, and I was singing and playing in a band there. And that's when I really was like, oh, I missed this. And then that ended up breaking up. And then again, fast forward about maybe six, seven years at the most, maybe five years. In that gap was when I really missed it. Because at that point, I'd had the taste. Yeah. I'd had a band because I'd always wanted to. I'd been playing guitar since I was in high school. I always wanted that band or wanted to do this. I But I never had it. I always wanted it. Up until, again, I was in my late 20s, early 30s playing bass in a stoner rock band with some buds from work. Uh, and I got the taste. It was like, oh, this is what I've always wanted. That ending left a massive thirst. The, you know, better to to, to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Well, once I had loved and lost, man, I didn't fulfill that again until doing stand-up comedy. And then realized that, hey, this is what I really like. This is what I'm better at. I'm a better comic than I am a musician. I'm, I'm a shitty musician at best. Uh, I, I'm a fair comic, I guess at best. So uh, <laughs> I, I find comedy to be something I, I'm much better at and something that I do enjoy more. So Absolutely. I, I miss music. I like it, but I would never go back and, and pick that as my only thing. I would never trade it. Right, right. And man, I get that too. Like when you when you have that taste, even if it's just for a brief minute, like as we're recording this, I'm literally like three months and two days since my last match just announced that I'm, I'm coming back. But like, Every day since then, I have had that itch or that urge to go back and get that bug again or to do some type of live performance because, like you were saying, you know, COVID has changed a lot of that, too. Oh, my God, yeah. I I, mean, just absolutely changed everything so much. And how did that, like, how did that impact you? Because I know at one point up until maybe about the second or third month of, uh, you know, of the, the pandemic, you had a podcast going and everything. But how did that affect like live performances and how did you handle like all that stuff just being shut down? So it wasn't, it wasn't good. So it, it, it affected comedy bad in the same way. Again, with a lot of things, music, uh, wrestling, there is a distance, I guess, that helped with some. But the size of arenas, you just couldn't have crowds. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, the big thing when it comes with COVID, and I know the big thing is obviously death, so please don't let me, you know, be flipping about the big thing is death. But the big thing it affected in our life daily outside of, again, death was you can't be in a crowd. Yeah. Well, performing arts require crowds. Yeah. That's what we do, right? A crowd without a comic is still a crowd. A comic without a crowd is a narcissistic asshole with a microphone. <laughs> well, I need you more than you need me. And so it took everything. But I got real lucky um, to still keep a few shows plugging here and there. Most everything shut down, but there was all the few, hey, we're going to do this outdoors. Yeah. We're going to do this in the big venue. It's going to be spaced out. Um, but I, I actually was doing pretty low. Uh, there was a point right before COVID, like any performer or anything, you, I'm done. I'm out. I quit. 
I don't think I want to do this anymore. I'm stagnant. I'm not coming up with any new songs or new moves or new jokes. So I was actually on a downhill slide anyway. I hadn't done an open mic in like a year. I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. So I, I kind of had that seven year itch and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm done. I don't think I, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And a lot of it was work at, you know, day job. Cause oh, again, yeah. A lot of people, I have to continue my art while feeding a family. And so that's a, that's that much more of a struggle. If you really want to carry this, you're willing to get up pick it up and do it. And I will, I just don't know if I was at that point. Yep. I so, feel that 100%. Yeah. And so I was about to give, give it up anyway. COVID hit. And I was like, well, I guess uh, it gave it up for me. It yeah. gave me up, I guess. And I, I kept just a few good gigs here and there. And I, I, I would, I had this great run through Georgia kind of in the middle of it and just had one of those sets where I was like, all right, this is it. That's what I want to do. I, I missed this. And so it was, real just invigorating and refreshing and so it was a great gig i came home i wrote the first bit that i wrote probably a year uh, on the way home uh and so it felt great and i made some plans that you know i want to kind of go forward in the next year and so um but it's it's still scarce you know there's not as many you know chances and opportunities but yeah i'm trying to stay busy do what i can you know get a gig or so in a month i'll be uh in Bristol, coming up in a couple of weeks at nice. a comedy club there, so that'll be good. Actually, almost to the year, just a couple of weeks ago, had a couple of runs through Georgia again, and it was great. Did the same bars. It was fantastic. Had a wonderful time. Nice. I had to do a fun show. A friend of mine set up where I had to do my set with uh, a blindfolds and headphones on, blasting <laughs> Slayer, so I can't see, I can't hear, and I have to do my whole set. So Wow. I can't even imagine how that would be. <sighs> <laughs> Crazy, but it went well. It went well. I got a huge pop because I actually made it to my beer. Nice. Yeah, because if you've, you know, I don't know what your uh, experience with uh, surprise parties, pin the tail on the donkey, or sexual fetishes is, but if you ever have to wear a blindfold, you can actually see right underneath it. Yep. Enough. So <laughs> I, I just kind of saw my beer, and I'm, I'm still trying to do my thing and I'm concentrate as best I can because I can't hear the audience. I can't see the audience. I'm all I can hear is Slayer blasting my ear. <laughs> and I kind of fumble down and I, I get the beer and there's a pause and even over everything, I can hear this huge pop, this huge round of applause. And I was like, okay, I got this. I got this. <laughs> and apparently at one point I walked into a wall. I remember actually bumping into a wall because I can't see. I pretty much have my junk in this girl, poor girl in the front row's face half the time. I have no <laughs> idea. I'm right up on her. Uh, so it was a hoot. It was a hoot. I was going to be getting the footage from that pretty soon. I can't wait to see it. I love that. If there's a shareable link, we'll make sure we get that out there too. Awesome. I get that. But something I'm curious about is I heard it on a couple of your podcasts that I listened to, but you know, you talked about how like you referenced it even with the uh with the pillbilly earlier that was reading out of a out of a notebook. What yep. what is your like um I know you mentioned like having a, a little note, like a notepad on the bar stool for your sets and everything. Do you still adapt to that or do you still go by that or do you just kind of have it in your mind and go from there. One, again, I grew up much like anybody who sees it only from the outside, not knowing behind the scenes. So I never saw a comic with a notebook, with a cell phone, I always didn't exist, mm-hmm. anything. Right? I didn't know that they had spent the last year doing these jokes religiously to get them down pat. I didn't have a clue. Yeah. I just thought that's how it did. You had it memorized. So I had 24 hours to learn my first set. I memorized it. I walk up and everybody had notebooks. It's an open mic. People are just, you know, rehearsing. Everybody had notebooks and had their phone and what do I want to talk about? I was like, that's a fucking option. <laughs> no, that was a choice. So I kind of right then I was like, 
well, you know what? Fuck them. That's, I'm going to make the right choice. This is what I'm going to, I no, no, this is the right thing. And so I, I don't like that. I hate that. Unless that's part of your gimmick. Now I've seen some comics that bring it out as like a prop and you great. But if you really just fumming through, I, I hate that, especially at a show, an open mic maybe. But what I do is like a musician. If you ever seen any musician, they have their set list on the monitor and then the audience can't see. But as you know, James Hetfield's playing, he can look down and go, okay, we got to entertain him. Yep. I do. If I'm doing a certain length of time, average comics jokes are about two minutes, three minutes. Again, very weird timing. The average joke for a comic is about two, maybe even less than three, but about two minutes. My average joke is about five minutes. I'm a storyteller, very long winded, as you may already know. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's how I work. Everybody's a little different. My average joke's about five minutes. So that means if I've got 15 minutes to fill, I'm doing three, maybe four jokes. I, I don't need to memorize that. And now I don't write anything down. Like I don't actually write any jokes down. I've never wrote a complete joke. I do not put pen to paper. I actually only write joke names. And I only do that if I'm going to do 20 minutes or more. Right. Anything under that, because again, we're talking three jokes, four jokes. I can remember it goes B, D, F, G. Right. That's fine. I got that. I can remember that. When it gets more than five, six jokes, so we're talking 20, 30 minutes worth, I'm going to write a set list and I'll just write, you know, this joke, this joke, and just the names of the jokes. Yeah. And I lay it on my bar stool so nobody sees it. Again, just like a band, it'll land. I, I have my beer there. So again, when I need a moment or I get a little, where are we? Okay. Oh yeah. And I go to just all I'm doing to the audience is getting a sip of my beer, but I can have a moment to look, catch my breath and go, okay, all right, we're good. All right. I, I can take a glance at my watch without anybody knowing. All right. If it's been 10 minutes, I'm halfway through. All right. That's perfect. Okay. And here we go into the next joke. Nice. Or I can see that I'm going too fast and I need to cut time and I can kind of edit as I go, but. I only do a set list if I'm doing, again, like 20 minutes or more. Right, right. I love I love that answer there, too. And with that, too, like, how do you come up with your material? And has that evolved as you've gotten more comfortable as a performer? Or is it kind of just, if the wheel's not broken, don't fix it? So, I guess I, I compare writing jokes to songwriters. There tends to be two kinds of songwriters. There's the, I will sit down and write a song. Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. Here's an award-winning song. And then there's the, oh my God, inspiration hit me at this moment. I wrote this song. That's more me. I can't sit. I know comics who do. They go, I'm going to sit down tonight and write in a new hour's worth. And I, I can't do it. I, I, When a joke hits me, it hits me. And it's just a light bulb kind of moment. And then, like I said, I just start thinking. Like I, said, I don't put any pen to paper. I never have. I, I just sort of start talking to myself. That's how I, that's, that's how I mold my clay. I start talking to myself and I basically start doing the act to nobody in the shower, on my way to work, in in line at the store in my head. And so it's just an inspiration thing. Something hits me funny. A good example, you know, as a parent, you have, you know, child moments that happen in your your life. If you have kids, things pop up. Uh, My son got in trouble at school and it was just a funny moment to me. My wife came home and told me that he threatened to harm another student. And I was like, oh, no, what happened? And she said, well, he told this little girl, I'll come to your house and I'll hold a knife up to your throat. And I just bust out laughing. And it's a super adult threat, but it was just, it was, it was so funny. So I was like, well, he, he didn't threaten to harm anybody. He just threatened to threaten them again later in a more comfortable location. 
Uh, <laughs> and so to me, that was, that's where it hit, right? Because that's not a threat. I will succumb your asshole and knock up your throat. That's not a threat. That's uh, that's a threat to threaten you again later in a more comfortable location. So it just made me laugh because um, I know he's not Columbine 2.0. He's the son of a comedian who hears this hyperbolic tone that that thinks this is funny and thinks this is how you get attention. And he doesn't realize that his dad just tries to be the witty kid in every 80s sitcom because that's how he grew up. And so he uses the hyperbolic tone in everything. And over. And so that's all it was. I, the minute I heard it, I was like, it's, it's me telling the cat, I will kick you through the wall. I'm not going to kick a cat. I love yeah. the cat. But I'm going to tell him <laughs> I will punch him through the wall, right? I mean, that's like me fat shaming my cats and they're quick thin. Exactly. So when she came home and told me that, that joke wrote itself right away. I had, you know, he's not threatening to harm another student. He's threatening to threaten them again later in a more comfortable location. (laughs) And then from there, I guess like cooking, you have protein and then you start building your dish around. All right, what kind of sides do I want? All right, where do I want to segue this? All right, well, do I want a dessert? Do I want to tag something after it? Like, and so that's kind of how it works. So once I had that protein, of, you know, he didn't threaten to harm another student. He just threatened to threaten them again later in a more comfortable location. I just started adding the side dishes that led to it. So for me, it's moments in life, you know, go to compete in the world beard and, and, and mustache championship uh, and, and lose to a woman. Well, you're a terrible comedian <laughs> if you don't respect the irony that happens there. Right? right. There's no way. So that, that joke wrote itself. It was just like, I'm not mad. It's a charity event. She didn't win either. She came in sixth. I came in 63rd. It's just, and again, as a comedian, 63rd's way funnier than winning. And even better than that, I tied for 63rd. Right? So that's <laughs> that's hilarious as a comedian. That's way better. And so, you know, it was just how do you say I'm a good comic who does a beard competition, which is already weird, and in their category loses to a natural born cis woman. You know, like no transgender, nothing, no, a, a born woman who shouldn't be able to, but did, you can't not appreciate the irony. You just don't. And so it writes stuff. So I'm a situational storyteller. That's, I love that. That's what I do comedy wise. That's how I write. It has to be that moment of bing, and it just has to kind of flow from there. I love that. Can we, can we take a detour for a second and just of course. tell us about the, uh, the beard competition. Like I, I I'm looking at Jeff's reaction right now and you see it too. Like, tell me about that. Like how did, how did she get involved in that competition? And like, oh, she's great. Um, a rose, uh, uh, she, and she knows I do the joke. I always celebrate her. One of the things when I do the joke about that, I always, the joke is clearly about me. I always make sure to celebrate her because she's a wonderful human being. Really is. And she's in the Guinness Book of World Records. She's great. Oh, wow. But um, she is just a natural born woman who has a genetic disease that lets her grow a beard. That dude would put most guys to shame. And the bearded community as a whole is great. I have been involved in a lot of scenes, music, theater, comedy, all have their levels of toxicity, right? We all know. Yep. Um, the bearded community as a whole least toxic scene I've ever been a part of. Statistically, there has to be an asshole in the bunch somewhere. I've never met him. But it's, people come for charity. Again, to give you a backstory, beard competitions are all charity events. Nobody wins a dime. Nobody, they get trophies and some stupid bragging rights. But people are there to laugh, raise money. Um, and, and they're about, I did one, I hosted one in Chattanooga where we raised money for a family who was trying to buy a handicap accessible van due to their son. 
So we raise money for that. We do a lot of different charities in there. That's that's nice. the only purpose. Every ticket sold for competitor, every ticket sold for uh, spectator goes to the charity. You know, there's you don't win anything, so it's all fun. And people travel for all over the country. People come. Well, people will fly all the way across the coast, coast to coast, to come and just stand on stage, get some stupid bragging rights, and raise money for somebody else. Nice. So again, the reason that you're there automatically breeds a level of less toxicity. Yes. This particular person, Rose, is a legend in the beauty world. Everybody knows her. She's great. She's done a ton of judging. She's absolutely a fabulous person. And again, she, the thing is, like, and I, and I always celebrate this in the joke. We all have a closet of some form we could be hiding in. There's something about all of us we don't want to show to the world. Very true. And. Hers is as easy to, as a Gillette away, right? She could take the easy way out like that, right? And nobody would ever know. But she didn't do that. She said, I'm going to do it, right? I grow a beard. I'm a woman, right? And this was, you know, not a, a trans issue. This is just about, I'm a woman. I grow a beard. Fuck it. I'm going to grow it. And it's big and it's bushy and it's it's beautiful and it's raised a lot of money. And she's a great person for it. Uh, and people, when I do tell them, the joke because again i always have that moment where i do celebrate her and go you know she's being the best version of her she could be regardless of what society thinks and we should all be so brave and i always get a round of applause you know and, and i take a moment to celebrate her but after the show i always get people come up and they, they're always asking about her but it's never one time been a negative thing nobody's ever come up with like Ew. or was is that real can i look her up that's awesome she really does that not one person has ever come up with anything negative. Everybody's just been excited to know she exists and that she, you know, celebrates herself. And again, before I did the joke, I messaged her, hey, just want you to know, I'm going to do this. Is this okay? It'll be cool. She was like, yep, I'm good to go. That's great. I think it's nice. great. So I got her permission. Uh, she's just a great person. She's a wonderful human being who, like I said, grows a beard that put most guys to shame. And I like to think I wasn't one of them, but the judges disagreed. So. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. It's a pretty damn epic beard you got going on there. So I'm just telling you. At the moment, dude, a long time out of trim. And just like I said, this is my uh, been at work bun, if you were. But <laughs> I love uh, that. It's about fun. I, I'll never be, you know, getting the world champion or anything, but it was about fun. I wanted, my goal was to compete in the world championship. And I did, you know. Absolutely. That's joke out of it. Um, I got something funny to say when some old man at the urinal next to me at the restaurant says, nice beard, and I'm standing there trying to pee. It's like, thanks, formerly 63rd in the world. Your move. <laughs> <laughs> Two shakes, I'll see myself out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's a lot of fun. Again, it just it led to a great joke that I, I tell a lot, and I love it. And it's a fun joke, and it is one of those things that just having to be a moment in life inspired. So that's, that's where again, everything comes from me is, is life tells me this is funny work with this. I love that. And I got one more question. I'm going to see if Jeff has anything here. So I'm not hogging all the spotlight, but just because you mentioned a couple things in there, like, um, like you mentioned cisgendered, uh, not a transgendered woman and everything. Have you noticed with what people call the cancel culture today? Has that affected Anything you do comedy and routine wise, or have you noticed it having any impact, uh, you know, any real impact outside of like the negative stuff you may see on social media or somebody complaining about that? 
So me personally, no, because one, I don't, I, I tend to not really do offensive jokes. Right. Not, not offensiveness. I, I work real blue. Like I drop the F bomb left and right, but I don't, I don't tell like rape jokes or yeah. anything like that. You know, I've tried it. Like, as a comic, you always try. Let me, let me see if I can be super offensive. And you know, you, you give it a shot and you go, that didn't work. It's not me. Uh, but I've just never really did like political material. I don't do political humor. Again, it's not my thing. Uh, I, I, I've never been, so it's never, been that way for me but um i have i've seen a ton of division where people are just like this is my opinion boom stake in the ground and so people are like oh well that's not my opinion then you are cast out and so it's like well that's not how that's supposed to work i mean like that so i see a lot of that right um, as far as affecting me i i I don't want to go too much into too many things, but I, yeah. I do have a, this is actually recent. Uh, I just discussed, kind of found out today that this had happened, but I, I was working a project with um, some other comedians and I'm still working with it, but um, there was one particular person in this group who just would not let it go. And again, it was one of those things where it was like, all right, this is cool. But every time we got together, it was constantly Dave Chappelle, Netflix, Dave Chappelle, Netflix, Dave Chappelle, Netflix, Dave Chappelle, Netflix. Uh-huh. And it was just like, I wanted to go. I just don't know if you know this. I don't give two fucks about Dave Chappelle or Netflix. I'm not right here to write a TV show for Dave Chappelle or Netflix. I don't give a shit. I would like you to stop bringing it up. Right. And it's not just because it's a particular sensitive issue. It's because it's an issue that isn't relative. Right. Right. Like, I'm, I'm a believer in God. I'm a Christian. But I didn't bring that to the table. I didn't just constantly talk about it. You know why? Because that's not what we're here to talk about. And that's the way I think it should be with anything. If if you're a believer in God, the devil, this, that, or the other, something that is polarizing. We'll just use that for a word because these yeah. topics are all polarizing. If you're a believer in trans rights, and I'm, 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 I am, I'm cool with it, right? Then you're very polarizing for people that aren't. If you're a believer in God, you're very polarizing for the people that aren't. So when it comes to these polarizing things, that's fine. But time and place is important. Yes. Right? You want to get to a place where, hey, we're here at this meeting, at this roundtable, to talk about Dave Chappelle, Netflix, trans rights. Awesome. I'm cool if there is not another subject brought up all night. But we're here to write this particular show these comedians are working on, and it's going to be about whatever wiener jokes and, you know, fart dick jokes, whatever. (laughs) That's cool. Do we have to keep, like... And they kept wanting to talk about like, well, I think we should do a round table and shoot it and we'll talk about ethics and comedy and put that out as our first episode. And it's like, well, that's not the show we're here for. I don't believe ethics and comedy is a thing. And I don't want to do that. And I don't I don't think that has anything to do with why we're here. I just found that. So to me, that was the only time it affected me. And it wasn't about the subject so much as it was somebody who wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. Right. I get that. That makes so much sense. And I think, in all honesty, I think if more people would adapt the mentality that you just explained, a lot of issues that people make out of things probably wouldn't even exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, because it's like, it, it doesn't matter what you're into. If you never let it go, like, hey, you know, nice weather today. It is. Hey, do you play Frisbee golf? I love Frisbee golf. Let me tell you about Frisbee golf. Well, I just thought we'd talk about the weather for a second, but right. okay. You're obnoxious. Hey, nice weather day. It is. You want to talk about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Look, I like Jesus, and that's an annoying conversation, right? I don't, like, I'm cool with Jesus, and I don't want that conversation because that's not the conversation at the moment. Right. So 
I, I'm cool with Netflix and I'm cool with comedy and cool with controversy, but I don't always want to talk about it. So I think that's the biggest problems I've encountered is just, can we just not talk about it? Like, I mean, it happened. Yep. We discuss it. Can we have a crime, have a trial, have a sentence and be done? Right. That, that's what I want is, it, all right, did he do something? Great. Let's put him on trial. Let's come up with a sentence. Oh, we're never buy his albums again. Awesome. We're done. Can we be done? That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Man, that's, it's so simple, but it's so impactful. But that's probably why nobody adapts that mentality right now, it seems like. Because that mentality doesn't win. Yeah. You don't get to win. We just stop. Right? That mentality doesn't win a fight. It just ends a fight. That's a parent. That's a parent right there. It's like when he started it. I don't care. I just want to stop it. The people that don't want to let it go are, again, the people that are insisting on winning. Like, yeah, I'm going to fight till I win. Why? Why? Exactly. If you conquer all the lands and you slaughter all the people in front of you, what do you have left to rule? Now you got a kingdom of nothing but corpses. So what's that about? I don't want to do that. Exactly. Man, that makes so much sense. Man, we could probably stay on this topic for a good bit here, but we're going to take a quick pause for a word from the Give Me Back My Podcast Network. Welcome to the Monster Movie Stomp Down, where twice a month we review monster movies from all corners of the planet. Join me, Sludge. And I was, went to watch it the other night, and she's like, why are you watching this? You can quote this movie line for line. Like, that's very accurate. My co-host, Mark. Don't ask me to do a stomp down on this because it's zero. <laughs> okay, dude. Ruben, what's your stomp down rate? And our brother from Texas, Ruben. It, it's just, I'm like, wait a minute. They tricked me into watching this. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I felt like. like. As we give you the history, our review, and the stomp down rating of some of the best and worst monster movies around. Available through the Podbean app, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Amazon. Make sure and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. All right, let's hop right back into this awesome interview. Jeff, I don't want to hog all the spotlight. Anything you want to ask? Anything you want to bring up? Any stories to share? Well, I guess I would start with the way that I met Lance. We uh, worked at the uh, call center without mentioning mm-hmm. anything. I'm still where I do. I'm still oh, there. you're still there. Awesome. Yeah. I was curious where you was at now. No, I'm still there. I literally got off like an hour ago. <laughs> so... Um, at the time, Lance had just started. I had just started. We'd went through training and all that good stuff. And I hear this lady behind me cussing out one of our agents on the phone. Said agent was Lance. Lance, being the cool, calm, collective comedian that he is, handled this call perfectly. And I remember him just keep saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, I'm sorry, ma'am, in his tone of voice. And um, the way that he handled all these escalations ended up with him getting what we call a promoter, which was a great return survey. And we had these you really get if somebody's asked for a supervisor. Yeah, you got to the point yeah. that, you, that I've answered the phone because that's what I, I I did. I had to take all this. So if I've got to the phone, that's not supposed to happen for anybody who's never worked in a call center. Oh boy. Yeah, and there would be a lot of times people would be on the phone with him getting aggravated at him asking for a supervisor and they would never get a supervisor. (laughs) (laughs) They would never get a supervisor. He would just talk them down with his calm, cool and collective lance. (laughs) It's, it's again, the soft skill works. It's, you know, it's how to communicate, 
how to control a crowd, even if it's a crowd of one. Yeah. But now I'm now I'm working in the training department, so now I'm teaching other people to do it. Oh, awesome. uh, I finally got to the point I was like, look, I I still want to serve my country, but I don't want to be on the battlefield anymore. I'm too <laughs> old to be dodging bullets. Send me to boot camp. Let me train the the next squad, and I, I'll I'll send you the best soldiers I can. But I don't I don't want to do it. I, I still want to serve my country. I'm not ready to walk away. But yep. I don't I don't want to be in the battlefield anymore. What? I'm ready to go to boot camp and teach others. So, yeah, where were you guys when I was in a call center? Where was this? Like, <laughs> I could have used that back then. Too. Well, and the and the good thing about the call center that we was at was we all we had to do was know how to talk to people. Yeah, if okay. they were having a problem, we typed the problem into the computer and it told us how to fix it. Oh, yeah. And it, I, it was I, really cooking. You know, like, what's it like? What do you do? And this is what I tell people. People call me. They ask me a question. I Google their question. I then read them the answer that I found as if I wrote it. Yeah. That's nice. what it, and for yeah. a long time, I, I this is even I can one up that for a long time. I was doing chat. So I wasn't on the phone. I was just, you know, typing out. People would come into chat and I would type yep. out answers. So, yes, there's a real human typing out answers back to you. And I have many a time copied their question that they typed, pasted it in Google. You're ahead of me already, right? <laughs> I have copied their question they typed, pasted it in Google, took the answer I found, copied it and pasted it back to them. Oh, that is amazing. I have done that more times than I care to admit. But yep. hey, if they would have done what I did, I'd be out of job. Right? <laughs> if they were not, uh, I, I don't want to say lazy because they're doing the same amount of typing. So it's, they're doing the same work. But if they were thinking about it, I'd be out of job. So that that's what I do, man. I work in a call center where we're inbound tech support for a, a software, computer software. So I mean, like people call me, ask me a question. I Google their question and I read them the answer. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So it has no tech ability. It's all about performance. I mean, that really is it. It really is. It's the same soft skill. Because uh, I, for years, I did retail and restaurant work where it's, again, the same soft skill. It's how to meet someone, make them your friend for five, 10 minutes, entertain them, and get them what they need. And so it's the same thing. People come to a comedy show. I'm here to make friends, pretend to be your friend, tell you a few stories, entertain you. You walk away with what you came for. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of something similar to what we experienced as scare actors, too, where we were outside, except the only difference was for me, if they came to me, they were expecting to be insulted. And I (laughs) don't think I disappointed, but no, I, I, I get that mentality and that approach 100%. Yeah, scare acting is something different. Like I said, I think that takes a uh, takes a real something that I don't think again. It is like person comedy where it's it's very interactive. It's very, but there's just there's some, there's a mentality to it that is that is different than the others. I I really to me I know a ton of friends that do it, so it's a real hats off situation. I, there's a there's something about it I can't put my finger on that that it just it requires that. Uh, so I think that's awesome. I think do you guys do like in a haunted house in a like hayride? Uh, you know, because I know there's different locations. Yeah, like the one we were at this year, I was originally outside where like you would have like a small handful of people that would interact in certain areas of the setup because we had six houses on mm-hmm. this property, and you know you would just kind of roam around and interact with the people. I think, Jeff, you were actually outside as one of the greeters to the haunted houses at, at 
one point, correct? Yeah, my official title was door host. Gotcha. But at that position, I was in full costume, had a character that same. I stayed with. I was basically the same thing you done, but I also had to count people in my head and say, okay, you don't get to go in yet. Stop. Yep. Right. So, but you, you still have so much inside and outside of the door. You have yep. to work. Like, yes. Like it's a zone defense. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Like you, you have the podium, but you've got to deal with so far in and so far out. That yep. makes sense. And then I, I personally as well, and I, I wasn't the only one that had to do this. There were a couple other people on our outdoor, our, what we call Q line team, where we would actually have multiple characters. So while on a Friday, I may have had one character Saturday or Sunday, I may have been in a different mask completely. Or if somebody no call, no showed, we would have to go in the house and fill in in their spot. So it was a lot of uh, adding versatility to the resume more than anything else. That's but cool. that, it does work that way. Like, again, the same way with, hey, this match is canceled because so and so, so we're going to have to bump you up. Yep. Hey, I need you actually to go first. I know you're scheduled to go last. I need you to do yep. this much time, even though you're supposed to do this much time. Yep. So again, I think those three, again, performing arts are, are I, I never thought about haunting uh, until you had mentioned that, but I, I think it really does have that same. Uh, mentality as 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 the wrestling, I think it can be right there because again, interactive, scripted, yet it's not. Um, yep. never gets the respect. It, it, it's a cool art. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yes, sir. And, and I think it's so funny too. So many of my comic friends do it, and so many of my comic friends are into wrestling. And so many, it's funny how again the scenes. Every rock star wants to be a comic. Every comic wants to be a you know, rock star. Yeah, and it's the same way too with like wrestlers. So many of my, so many wrestling comics or wrestling fans. Uh, and you end up getting involved. Like uh, right now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Well Red guys, Trey Crowder and uh, uh, Corey Radford. Yes, yes, the Buttercream Dream. The Buttercream Dream, exactly. So I love Corey. Corey's, Corey's out of those three, Corey is one of my absolute favorite comedians. Nice. They're all great comics and they're all great people. And it was awesome to see them all blow up. Oh, yeah. They were, I got into comedy locally when they were still the nobodies, you know, famous like they are now. And so I got to meet them and know them very organically and, and then see them blow up. And so it was awesome. Um, and Corey always was one of my favorite comics. I just absolutely love him. And the buttercream dream is one of the best gimmicks. Yes, sir. It is. <laughs> it, yes, it's it just is. a comedian who wants to be a wrestler and was like, well, screw it. I'll just start doing promos and make a character. Um, I, I do it. I have a character that I, I have. A, I have a wrestling character that I do. So, uh, I think it's great. I, I love it. I love the buttercream. You are you are making my job easy tonight because you just gave me the perfect segue into the wrestling portion of the questions now. So like, let's talk about the uh, the character that you developed. Like, tell me. I know obviously you like you just mentioned Corey and his aspirations for it. So what like what fell into place for you to create your your character with it? So we had a show in Knoxville. Um, I don't know if they're still telling this, but obviously COVID kind of put squash in. Yep. But it was like an experimental comedy show where and typically it's not my thing. Because again, I'm not into improv and things typically, but it was a um, a themed-based show. Like they would have a show about animals and comics yeah. come as animals and do their set from an animal point of view, right? Typically not my thing until they had the QED Smackdown. I was like, oh, what do we got here? <laughs> and it was comics come as a wrestler. And oh, comics nice. perform a three minute piece in promo fashion on a particular subject. And then you would be given a subject in, in the promo fashion. Like, well, what have you got to say about? And then you would have to improv like three minutes on this subject they would give you. 
So I was like, okay, well, I'm in on this. There's no way I'm missing. This. Absolutely. So I, I decided to create, I, I created this character, uh, Blackjack Cadillac, the old school outlaw where Hollywood meets honky tonk. And it was my tribute to my favorite, like old school bad guys, Barry Windham. Yes. And, and the Blackjacks, obviously, I mean, right there in the name. Oh, but yeah. Barry Windham's easily in my top five all time favorite wrestlers. And I love it. So I had. Uh, a, a pair of wrestling trunks that I'd actually bought. We we used to do a lot of parody roasts and where we would come in character. Like we did the roast of uh, Axl Rose. We all came as musicians. We did the roast of Hulk Hogan and I came as Stone Cold. So nice. I had this black pair of just wrestling trunks. So I decided Blackjack Cadillac. It just kind of came to me the name. We have a local indie wrestler, uh, Stephen Cadillac Burns. I don't know if you've, if you've ever met him. I've, I've heard the name, but I've never met him. Dude, he's great. He is if he if if he was who he is now thirty years ago he would have been fighting Magnum TA for the title. He's everything every old school bad guy wrestler should be. He's awesome. He, he's he right there. With my love kids it. Backstage kept it kayfabe. He's great. So anyway, um, so I kind of took Blackjack Cadillac from Blackjack Mulligan and Cadillac Stephen Burns, and I thought the name was funny. And basically, so I took the wrestling trunks. I ride motorcycles, so I took my pair of chaps, mm-hmm. my vest with no shirt. Nice. No, I, I should not be wearing a vest with no shirt. It's not <laughs> you know, my, black, my black fingerless gloves, my one elbow pad, the cowboy hat, and sunglasses. And that was, again, my tribute to the blackjacks and all these great. I love the wrestling trunks with chaps. I don't know why the, the shirt with no, the vest with no shirt. Aesthetically, I always loved that gimmick. And so I want to do that. So I went to the thing, I went to the show. And it was great. I, I had to have been like the only real wrestling fan there because nobody else really made a wrestler. It was a bunch of comics and a bunch of art students. Then there was me. So I came in. And again, I'm, it's funny because here I'm tubby and out of shape and my chaps would know. So really over the top. And we had somebody doing the Mean Gene role. And yes. this is where you as a, a, a true wrestler will get it. Every other comic who came up did the comic thing. They took the microphone from Mean Gene and did the comic thing. That's not what you do. Nope. Nobody takes the microphone. So being a wrestling mark, I knew that. I stood there. And once the blue moon, I would grab the mic and pull it close, but I'd let it go. Right? He held the mic. And and even they even the people that, that judged it were like, there's no question. That 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 was the move. So I did it. I won because it was a big wrestle. I didn't nice. know I was going to win as a wrestling fan. You just know. You know when you're a, a haunter and you go to a costume contest, you're, you know, right? You, you just know. You're like, I know who's going to be here and I'm going to be the one. So I went into this show like that. I won. Nice. They went to do something very similar a couple of years later. So Blackjack Cadillac was born of that. And they went to do another one. And this was great because they had done more wrestling like they took two of us and we basically roast battled each other in promo style again very wrestling and comic mixed it was great and they had made all of our characters that we created same kind of thing we all made a wrestling character right made our characters on whatever current wwe game was out at the time and after our roast battle they let the computer play both of us to just a, a computer fight so we, it was great. We got to, and we had no control over it. I won. It was awesome. Blackjack Cadillac threw him through a table. Again, we had no control, so it was just luck. It was awesome. So, and I got real lucky to get paired up with a friend of mine who used to wrestle. So we actually locked up and did a bump. 
we we worked it up backstage um because i had had the first blackjack cadillac thing i was like all right well i gotta step it up i had another comic friend of mine come as my manager and everybody's like you brought a manager i was like what bad guy 80s wrestling doesn't have a manager right thank you so i i had a friend of mine who had never watched wrestling and i sent him clips of jimmy hart bobby heenan gary hart i said mr fuji i was like just here can you do this for me and he was like yeah I can do this. I was like, you don't have to know anything about wrestling. Just do this. And he was like, you'll, you'll appreciate this. He called me and he was like, I've been watching this and I love it. He was like, I've never liked wrestling, but this is great. He's like, it's basically my job to be like the girlfriend who's smack talking behind the boyfriend who's about to get in a fight. And I was like, yes, 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 that is it. That's exactly what a wrestling manager does. Funny story about that, though, and this was something that so many people, at least in the business, would comment on down here because I'm 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, on a good day, 5'8", depending on what pair of boots I'm wearing, but all of my managers were at least 5'10", or 6 foot. So, so it, it looks like it should be the other way around. Exactly. So I had like the Amazon girlfriend out there talking trash and then they're doing it over my shoulder, but they've got their hand on my head at the same time. So <laughs> I like that. I think that's a great, I think that's a great dichotomy. Uh, but so we did that. I had a friend come as a manager. I, I did my thing. I won my match. Again, it was computer driven, but then they put all of the people together in a Royal Rumble and Blackjack Cadillac won that too. And again, it was all computer. So I just, wow. pure luck, pure luck. And so it's been this joke that I was the unified Knoxville experimental comedy champion. Nice. And so I've done a few things with it and I love doing it. I wish I could do more. I would like to do the buttercream dream stick. Of course, now he's, you know, Corey's doing it. So you're like, you're just going to get compared. Yeah. But I've always wanted to do that, do comic vignettes with Blackjack Cadillac. Cause I think it's, again, it's, it, it's what you want to, it's what you want to do. It's you want to be a wrestler and it's Andy Kaufman. Yes. You're a comedian, but you want to be a bad guy wrestler. It's just what it is. Absolutely. And I mean, like, man, like I'm, I'm so tempted right now. It's like, I just want to stay in the know for if a show like that ever happens and see if I can throw my name into it now because I'm still trying to like segue over into the comedy side of things and the, the acting side of things outside of wrestling, too. So it's like, I, I am hook, line, and sinker for a concept like that. That's amazing. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Because um, I do like the character work. I liked when we did the roasts. Again, local movie don't do a lot of those anymore, but I like doing the roast. I got yeah. to do Hulk Stone Cold for the roast of Hulk Hogan. I got to do Rob Halford for the roast of Axel Rose. Nice. Um, I was, we did the roast of Rick Grimes. I did Herschel for that. Nice. I just, I love the character work. It's a lot of fun. Because um, I, I like doing the voices and the characters and stuff. So uh, I like, you know, making sure you're getting all the costuming right. It's it's fun. It's it's pretend. It's dress up. It's play. It's it's why we become actors and wrestlers and musicians. We Absolutely. We pretend to be rock stars and we want to pretend to be bad guy, cowboy, dead villains. And, and, and I like that. With comedy, at least I get to do a little bit of it here and there. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Especially I like doing impressions and stuff. So that's a, that's a, that's a fun thing. Absolutely. And I got a couple more wrestling questions before we get into our uh, grill the host with the five questions that the guest uh, that Lance is going to ask me here. But when you were growing up with wrestling, a couple questions on my end. Were you an NWA guy or a WWF guy or did it even matter to you? So I 
I used to, I, I loved, a lot of my favorites were NWA guys, and I did love the NWA. So it goes back from, I love the, the big character stick. So I, I love the, the the big cartoony side, which you yeah. got more in the WWF back mm-hmm. then. You know, you had the Ultimate Warrior, and, and you had Papa Shango, and these, these kind of crazy characters. And I did like that. But I did always really love the more toned down, kind of backyardy in the gymnasium. There was a an outlaw kind of vibe to the NWA that I loved because yes. I did love the Four Horsemen and I loved oh, yeah. Barry Windham and I was a huge fan of you know uh, Sid Vicious because I was watching it in the Armory on Saturdays here locally. NWA seemed which became the WCW seemed to have more of that feel to it. Right. So I felt when I was watching, you know, the NWA shows that I was getting more of the stuff I watched locally, but I did love seeing that big crazy cartoon, you know, oh, yeah. just over the top of the WWF. Superheroes uh, so, and villains come to life. Yeah, yeah. So it was always it was a, it was a I guess it was like uh, the the realistic versus the non-realistic so even if you're a comic book fan, there there there's some that are so over the top, and some that are a little more based on real life. And so it, it's a taste, but I tend to follow the craziness more. I, I you know more often. Um, and then the Monday Night Wars when that went on, oh, it was yeah. back and forth and back and forth. Um, I got real sick of the NWO real quick, so I got uh, got too diluted. I it, it was another thing I didn't like. I, I was like, so are you your own organization? Are you not? I don't get it. I don't think I'm, whatever. So it doesn't take long for me to be like, all right, Stone Cold's on, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I tend to like the craziness of the WWF more, but so many of my favorite guys were in the, in the NWA. Absolutely. And like I, you've already referenced Barry Windham in the Blackjacks. Listening to some of your material, um, I've heard you reference Steve Austin. I've heard you reference Ric Flair and, and Harley Race. Who were like, give me your top five. Uh, okay, so Sid Vicious, uh, Barry Windham, Stone Colds, The Undertaker. Yeah, I, Absolutely. I love it. But even before then, like, I liked Mean Mark Callis. I yes. Liked him when he was in the skyscrapers. Absolutely. And I would probably say Ultimate Warrior. He said, I loved it. So that, yeah. that's probably my easy, my top five. Man, I love it. I love it. And like, those are, that's such a diverse top five, too. But like, that just shows you that, like, Wrestling is legitimately a buffet where there's something for everybody if you if you take the time to actually get invested in it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Much like again, comic books. For I use that example because it's very comic booky. It's like, yep. hey, do you like it crazy and over the top? That's available. Do you want it a little more hardcore and graphic? That's available. Yep. Do you want it uh, pretty simple and straight down? The, that's available. Do you want crazy high flying but still kind of realistic? All right, that's available. Yeah. So. It, comes in all flavors, you know. Uh, people lump it off and go, ah, comic books, ah, wrestling. But it's like, that's like saying, ah, movies. Like, they make a lot of different kinds. So there's probably one you're going to like. Absolutely. Uh, for me, I always like the big brawlers. I like I, I was, I, I like the McMahon model. I like the big body, not to say bodybuilders, but again, the Kevin Nash's, and the yeah. Barry Wyndham, the Sid Vicious. I always liked that big brawler dude. The guy's... They call it a, what was it? I think like Vince McMahon. And I think even somebody like Bill Watts had a litmus test where if this guy was walking in an airport or walking out in public, would people stop and, you know, like do a double take or stare at him? Like those guys are just the larger than life characters. I love that model. I always did. I never cared for the tiny high flyer guys. I was never impressed by the amazing wrestlers like Bret Hart and stuff that were really amazingly good. I like the big 
behemoths. Absolutely. Yeah, give me a, anybody that'll step over the top rope. I'm in. I'm there. Yep. <laughs> it's like Kane for me, and then Undertaker. As I got more into the business, I began to appreciate more of what he did, especially like back at my peak fandom, like o two o three when he was a biker. Like I love the gimmick. Yeah, I love the American real life. Gimmick. That was I him, think, and that was him in real life, and it, it, it was great. Yeah, aesthetics play a big part for me. Everything I do, whether it's choosing. Uh, you know, a, a superhero to enjoy, whether it's the hero in a movie, uh, whatever. Aesthetics make all the difference. Yes. So I, I choose my wrestlers by how cool they look to me. And so American Badass was a cool, cool aesthetic. It was a great gimmick. I loved it. Absolutely. And you could tell, like, there wasn't a lot of, like, sizzle added to the stake. That was just Mark Calloway, The Undertaker, in his element, because that's the stuff he liked outside of outside when the camera was off. So yeah. that just made yeah. the character that was on screen that much better. So it feels like it was a moment where he was like, "I'm too lazy to get dressed." Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm gonna put on the damn cape. Fuck the hat. I'm just. I'm here. I'm going out. Give me a bike. Right. I'm not even walking to the ring. Just give me a bike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I love that. And that's even again in his his prior to that days. If you've never seen too much of that, the NWA stuff when he was mean Mark Callis. Yes, he used to fly all over the place. He did crazy stuff. He would walk out on the ring rope. It was insane. And it was just like, how's a big guy doing this? Yeah, but he was great, and I loved it. And again, aesthetically cool. I like the, again. I like the vest, no shirt. I don't know why. That's just a cool look for me. I love it. So these guys just check all my boxes. You're like, big dude, punch the guy in the face. Where's leather inappropriate? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Got it. I'm in. I love it. I love it. I love it. But now it's time to uh, to flip the script a little bit, and okay. I'm gonna let Lance grill me some. So we're gonna get our speed round of five questions here, and I am back in the hot seat. So Lance, so I'm ready when you are. I am. I- uh, Jeff, uh, I appreciate it. So Jeff brought up something. That I, I used to again. I have a, a podcast that I used to run called Deadbeat Radio. Yes, I, I don't. I don't support that network anymore. They don't support me, but the product is out there, and I suggest people go check it out if they want. If you've enjoyed this, you might. But I ended every episode with what I call the five to drive. It was the five questions I ask every guest to drive this episode home. So I haven't got to do that in a long time. And so I'll flip it and I'll give you a five to drive. You've invited me here to, to let me do this, which by the way, let me first start saying thanks. Thank you for having me again. I, I love, I'm again a validation where I love the chance to do anything and have a moment of the spotlight. And so thank you. It was I my really pleasure. And thank you, Jeff, for introducing us. You're very yes. Welcome. Yes. Absolutely. Love it. Um, and again, when I found out you were a wrestler and did voiceover work, which are, you know, something else that I want to do, uh, I loved it. So I thought about it. I was like, well, I haven't done this in a long time, so I'll give you a five to drive. All right. So it's real simple. It's four questions that everybody gets and one personal just for you. All right. And the first one, in, an, in, a, in a moment of meta, is a top five. And I actually picked for you your top five wrestlers. It's what I came prepared for because I knew you like wrestling, and I was like, awesome. And I usually... Don't give anybody anything that simple. When I did, I never asked anybody, what's your favorite band? When I had wrestling people, it was, you know, what's your favorite five belts or whatever. Right. But I like to give those big, broad choices to special guests. And now I'm the guest, so it's very special. So your top five all time, no special order, favorite wrestlers. Number one is always going to be Shawn Michaels. Okay. Number two, Eddie Guerrero. Okay. Number three, Tully Blanchard. 
Okay. Uh, okay. Number number four, Nick Bockwinkle. Okay, great. And number cool. five, uh, probably the baddest man on the planet, still walking, Fit Finley. Okay. What a wow! What an achievement. So that's why I like that because none of those guys would be on mine. But I see that theme again, kind of size and style. And then there's also some wild cards like Fit Finley. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, him and William okay. Regal. If I just if you want to watch a good stiff wrestling match. Go watch him and William Regal, whether it's WCW or wherever it is. These guys will punch each other and headbutt each other just for the fun of it. Yeah, and he was like a wrestling legend in Ireland before oh, yeah. he came here, right? Yes, and that's I what, think... See, I, didn't, I only knew him as, as the mid-card chump. I, I never really... That's why I didn't care. I was like, mm. And it, it was one of those things... Like, before I got in, I kind of thought the same thing. Where it's like, man, it's just... Okay, I know I've got some Irish jeans. I like him. I like his gear. I, I don't really care about the the leprechaun under the ring thing, but it's like as you get in, you start hearing these people talk about like he's probably like the in my top five, or he's probably one of the best wrestlers in the world. And then I, you know, I started hearing more and more of that as I got further into my career. And then somebody actually sent me a link, and I think it's still on YouTube where there's a documentary about his family. Yeah. And yeah, you just I, I... Just I, I love countdown stuff. Hence oh yeah, countdown. and so something recently was mentioned in a countdown and mentioned that he had a documentary out and yes. talked about it, which is where I got the idea that he was actually some big wig before I knew about it. Absolutely, and I think I don't remember the exact context of the question, but the one thing I will always remember about this interview is that he was talking about it. And he, you know, somebody was talking about facial expressions or wrestling being fake or how come you don't do this or how come you don't do that. And he he flat out says, like, I could be in a bar. I could not even make a change in my face. I could grab you by the thumb and break your thumb. You'd be in pain. I wouldn't even change the look on my face. And like that just solidified him as one of the baddest MFers walking the planet for me. Sure. It's like, that's fair. Man. So you mentioned Tully Blanchard. That's yes. something. When you think horsemen, what four come to your mind? What are the four horsemen right away you think of? Man. Again, this is the question. This is the side question. I'm just curious. This What's is, your four horsemen picture? This is what I was actually thinking about today, and it's hard for me to choose because despite everything that happened in the last 48 hours of his life, I'm still a huge fan of Chris Benoit's work. Same, same. Easy, but love it. I wasn't a fan of Mongo in the Four Horsemen, yeah. but I mean, I think for me, it's so hard to say if it's the original with Oli or the formation that had Barry in it. Because that's the one. That's yeah, the, that's the. One. I think that's the, the. I think that's the best. Um, I think you know uh, the Arn, Tully, Flair, and Barry. Yeah, I think that's the best they ever got. And I, I think, think that's the best. I I still rank Arn and Tully, Brainbusters, whatever you want to call them. They are still the top tag team to me. So I, I guess I would have to say that, but I mean, I, I love Tully's stuff with the national title, feuding with Dusty, the I Quit yes. matches with, Ta- with Magnum. Place. Flair had the big belt, yep. Barry had the U.S., they had the tag, or they had the, 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 the television, and the, so great, yes, that's a great and, era. I like, again, the Sid Vicious era. I know everybody yep. shits on it, but I, I like Sid, Barry, and the Arn, and, and uh, uh, Flair. I like that. Yep. Era, but, yeah, but I mean, if, if you look at Sid, though, that's the prototype of what a wrestler would be if you just said, hey, draw me a wrestler. Like, oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Love it. And again, aesthetically, he used to do the Lord Humongous gimmick yep. back in the Indies back in the day. And I, that's when I caught him. I first, oh, wow. I first saw him as Lord Humongous. I was like, this guy's great. What is this? Hockey mask, leather, because I like the, the the road warriors, the demolitions. Yeah, I like that stuff. So here's Lord Humongous. I'm in. So I love it. 
But being the four horsemen that we talked about, that does lead me to my next question, the five to drive that I always asked. I love teams. I like stables. Yes. I'm a big fan. When it comes to get comic books, I like my superhero teams. When it comes to wrestling, I like my stables. When it comes to music, I like bands better than single people. So the four tends to be the number. The yes. Fab four, the four horsemen. You know, the four tends to be the number. Flynn, you have one night to have your own personal four horsemen. It doesn't have to be wrestling. It's anybody. Four horsemen. So three living celebrities to go out and party with and be jet flying, limousine riding, right? You got three living celebrities. To give you an example, mine were Stone Cold, Tom Waits, and Alex Jones. That's, nice. So that's, that's my four horsemen to party with. To go, you know, limo riding, jet flying, woo, yeah. three living celebrities. Man, night. I got to think on that for a second because that is such a diverse crew that I don't know if mine would even come anywhere close to that. But um, I would say just because he's somebody I never got the chance to meet, despite him being my number one, Shawn Michaels. Okay. Um, I would also pick Will Ferrell because he's one of the main reasons that I wanted to become an improv actor. So Will Ferrell. And then, man, uh, this is going to be a toss-up. Do I go Ian McDermott or Alan Rickman? Um, Alan Rickman's dead, so living Yeah, Okay, so Ian, Ian McDermott it is. But if Alan Rickman was alive, I'd have a hard time turning him down. It's a good choice. That's a good horseman. That's good. I like that. Uh, I just, I love the groups. I always like the stables. I've always Absolutely. been a fan of that. So I love that idea of letting everybody create their own personal four horsemen. What's funny is everybody goes forward. I go, you know, you're included, right? You're yeah. Three. All right, There's so, no JJ in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I realize when it comes to the four horsemen at any given time, there could be seven or eight of them. But we right. Um, I, I make no bones about having terrible taste. I like bad B movies. I like disco music. Yeah. I love trash TV. So what's your guilty pleasure? What's the thing you love? You know, you should be embarrassed to love. Man, I'm not even going to lie. And my wife is probably going to get all the credit for this, but I'll be damned if she didn't turn me on to Grey's Anatomy. So there it is. I, I love those kind of uh, medical dramas. Yeah. Like house. Or any, I love those things. So I, I totally get that. I totally support that. I can see I got wrapped up in Chicago Hope 25 years ago. Right. So I get it. One thing I got one thing I got to say about a side note on this, too. It's so funny because I'll watch The Walking Dead or I'll watch some horror movie where somebody gets gutted, whatever it is, or even like scenes we have set up in the haunted house. I'll see stuff yeah, like that. Won't even bat an eye, but when I see somebody get cut open on a surgical table or somebody's leg get broken or whatever it is, I will cringe, I will flinch, and she'll just sit there and make fun of me. Like, yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's crazy how it works that way. But I think it's, again, I think it's because it's not real. Yes. The minute it's, you know, a scalpel, a beef in the background. Yes. It gets real. Yes. So, yeah. No, but I, I think that's a great guilty pleasure. I, I, I totally sign off on that. So I like to keep things going with a nice rhythm. Let's let's get serious for a moment. That's that's something I do love to clown around, but I do like to get serious. You you have kids? Yes, sir. That's right. You told me you had to get kids a bit. So someday when you've when when your last bell has tolled, you've left this earth, and you have that tombstone in the ground for your last legacy to be carved upon. What do you want carved on it? What's that that one last saying you want to leave behind for the world to remember you were here? 
man, I, I don't think this would fit on a tombstone, but I just, I hope that my kids and not even just my kids, but like their kids and any generation after me, even my family, I just hope that, you know, I'll sum it down into this. Chase your dream. There's not one that's too big for you to catch. That's good. That's good. That's good. And again, as a dad who spent so many years not chasing his dreams, that's the message I want. I, I, that's good. Absolutely. And my I, so last one, again, I don't leave anybody on a, on a note. I always try to bring it up because, again, it's the last question that I asked everybody. What's your happy place? You have the ability to go anywhere you want to go, do anything you want to do. It's your time to be Flynn at Flynn's maximum. Where do you go to unwind, to let go? Where's your happy place when you get a place you can choose to be? In all honesty, um, I know you can see it right here behind me, but Mm -hmm. it's performing. Um, But right now, selfishly, I can say that just do like you mentioned earlier, due to stresses from work, I am just completely burned out because it seems like goals are unsurmountable and that's out of my control. But the, you know, the emails and everything just doesn't stop coming and it's hard to shut that switch off when you get home. So I, I just feel like all my energy is zapped. But when I have time to recharge my batteries, I feel rested. I feel fun and fulfilled. It's performing. I don't care if it's improv. I don't care if it's in the booth. I don't care if it's wrestling. It's just, it's performing in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. So there you go. Flynn, had this been an episode of Debbie Radio, that would have been a phenomenal five to drive to end on. Thank you. So that is, I, I was a great chance to bring it back out. I thought Jeff would appreciate that, knowing a little bit about it. But uh, it was fun to do it again. So thank you for giving me the chance to bring that back out of retirement. And again, like I said, man, thanks for having me, dude. I, I've absolutely loved this. Man, like I said, this is... Uh, I knew we were kindred spirits right away. Absolutely. And that's, that's one thing I've loved about doing this podcast, because... We're coming up on an hour and a half here, and it does not feel like we've even been talking like more than 10 minutes. And again, so much, it's crazy because I've noticed a pattern here where it seems like the people I tend to uh, to gravitate towards have such similar backgrounds to me, whether it's like the high school marching band background or liking the things that weren't cool at the time, but are like huge now. Like all this stuff that you said is all the same stuff that, you know, I experienced growing up or through my high school years, whatever it was, like, I find that all these people I connect with have these similar backgrounds and we may talk outside of here, but that never comes up. So like, I love having this opportunity to get to know people on a more personal level and just realize like, shit, we really are kindred spirits, you know, yeah, like that's, that was the whole goal. And when I originally started Debbie radio, it was, I wanted to do, cause, um, I I'd guessed on a, a friend of mine owned a podcast network. I guessed it on one of his shows. Um, traditionally, if I guest on your show, it'll be the longest episode. It never fails. So <laughs> on your podcast, it'll be the longest episode. Every network we were on, I had the record for the longest episode, not only as a guest, but as a host, because I like to talk. But my thing was, they said, what do you want to do? And I thought, well, I got a lot of interests. So I, I could do shows about this, that, or the other. I was like, but I don't want to do that. I was like, what interests you most? People. I just want to do an interview show. Um, I kind of use the Joe Rogan format, just bring different people from different places, yeah. sit down, have a conversation. The conversation goes off on whatever tangent it goes off on, and we just record it. And I like that idea. I like that a lot. And so we use that format because 
the, at the core of that concept was we all do share similar stories. Absolutely. By sitting down and talking about them, our world all got, gets a little smaller. Yes, we it all does. find out that, oh, well, I was interested in that subject. I didn't know this. Oh, I realized I felt that way, but I thought I was alone. And so I like sitting down, talking to people and finding that our frequencies ring closer to the same decimal than we think they do. Yes. That we all do ring at the same frequency or at least closer than we think. You know, we all hear different pitches. So we think, oh, well, we're all different. It's like, mm, nah, not so much. Nope. Right. I like that. I like this to them because we do find out that, you know, hey, I was into this um, when I was afraid to tell anybody. Well, it should have been because clearly there were a thousand more people. Yes. If, if nothing, porn should tell us that, right? Whatever you're into, it's out there for you. <laughs> Nobody else was into it too, right? Whatever right. weird, fat, shit, crazy combo of fetishes you can put together, you will find it. And the reason you will find it is somebody else put them together before you because they also like that same fat, shit, crazy combo of fetishes. We're not that. Different. We're human. That's what it boils down to. We're all human. There's and only so many crayons in the box, so you can only get so many color combos no matter how hard you try. Exactly. Nope. And man, like that's you've made my job easy tonight because like that is the perfect note to to go out on right there. And you literally just named every reason I wanted to start this podcast. So like I, I've said it multiple times throughout here, but this has been my pleasure one hundred percent. Oh, I said it's been all mine. Thank you. I really do enjoy talking and sharing experiences. Uh, I really do. And again, that's the 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 performer's uh, uh, nature anyway. That's why we write. Bob Dylan wrote a song to share his experience, right? That's why we do what we do. And so, absolutely, I, this is just another outlet. That's it, man. That so is thank it. you yep. for letting me have a moment to speak to people. Man, that was, again, my pleasure. And I sound like a broken record saying that. And Jeff, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record again, but thank you for introducing us as well. No, it wasn't a problem. I've, I've always had a huge respect for Lance on a personal and professional level. And I've told him that since, you know, I first met him like week two, yeah. week one of our training. And, uh, you know, whenever you told me you had a podcast, I was like, hey, I know a guy <laughs> and I think you're going to get along well with him. And here has been one of the longest sessions you've ever recorded. Yep. So it you know, never fails. Yeah. So yeah. And I, I and I told him that before before we brought you on, I looked at him. I said, "Okay, I want you to know that every podcast this guy has recorded has been two hours plus." Yeah. And <laughs> he said, "We'll see." I just I like to do what I do, and yeah, and there's always this moment. There's always going to be some nut fluffing that goes back and forth, where everybody's you know giving out their accolades, and, and yeah. so that's a stretching moment. But it, it it's it's true. I don't I don't say it if I don't mean it. You know, absolutely. I, I always believe I appreciate anybody who appreciates me. Anybody that ever comes up to me after a show and goes, "I liked what you did," I will take a moment to stop and say, "Thank you. I appreciate it." Um, I kind of it, it's kind of the Ronnie James Dio philosophy. Um, I don't know if you're into old school. Oh yeah, metal, oh yeah. I love Ronnie James Dio, and I love you know Richie Blackmore and all that. That but Richie Blackmore was apparently quite a bit of an ass and would never sign autographs. And Ronnie Dio always talked about he would see that and he was like, "That's wrong." And he always said after seeing Richie Blackmore do that to people in Rainbow, he knew I have to stay here. 
every fan has had their moment. And he would he would be the last person in the building. And I always respected that. I would read, see that in interviews and read that. And I thought, okay, that's the way to do it. So my philosophy is I will always take time to appreciate anybody who appreciates me. And I appreciate you appreciating me. And I mean that. Jeff, the fact that, you know, my work stood out for you to go, hey, this is somebody you should check out. That means the world to me. Oh, well, it's my pleasure to make you feel that way, Lance. And um, with that said, if you're ever in the Nashville area, hit us up. Yes, sir. We'll, we'll go out and get a drink together or something. Oh, yeah. I was in uh, uh, Nashville back this last year. And actually, it was the first time I'd ever performed in Nashville. I, I didn't even didn't recall them. It was at Twin Kegs oh. um, back this summer. And it clicked. I was like, why have I never performed in Nashville before? But uh, I will definitely set that up and vice versa. When you guys come up to East Tennessee, please let me know. Uh, so we got it together. Actually, I think as long as things go through, uh, me and the missus and our oldest may be traveling up there uh, here in a couple weeks. So we'll definitely uh, we'll be in contact. Please do. Please do. Yes, sir. Well, Flynn, like I said, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Thank you for getting this contact. And uh, I cannot wait to uh, hopefully come back and do this again. Oh, for sure. You're going to be on more than once. I can already (laughs) tell you that. And guys, again, I want to thank you all for listening to this awesome conversation as well, because this, you guys haven't, you can't see the footage, but Jeff has seen it, Lance has seen it. I've been smiling and nodding my head this entire time. Like, this has been an awesome experience for me as well. So I can only hope that you guys, even if you enjoyed it just a fraction as much as I did, you're still going to come away smiling from this. So I can't wait to have Lance back on again. And I can't wait for you guys to hear what Jeff and I get into on our spinoff podcast too. So keep an eye out for all that as well. Keep up with everything by making sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms. Uh, We'll have Lance's information linked in the show notes as well. So you can keep up with anything he's got coming up, any performances, keep up with his social media, anything you want, we're going to have in the show notes there. But make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and sharing it with your friends costs nothing to share, and any word of mouth you can give, we greatly appreciate. If you're on Spotify, subscribe there. If you're on iTunes, subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Google Podcasts, wherever you get it from. Subscribe, go back in the archives, go back to season one, listen to all the awesome guests we had there, and then share it with a friend again. That's all I ask. But guys, I can't wait to do this again next week and bring you another awesome guest and another awesome episode Be good to each other, have some fun, and just make the world a better place. Can't wait to talk to you all again. For Lance, for Jeff, I want to thank you all for tuning in, and I know you hear me. Hi, I'm Will Harridge, and I'm an audio engineer. But you would not believe the amount of mediocre voice actors I get in on the daily. It's scary, honestly. I always want to recommend them to Elise Bowman, who's the best voice acting coach I know. But I'm always afraid I'm going to offend them and be out of a job. Thankfully, I send the best ones over to her anyway over at EliseCoaches.com, and they keep coming back. Hi, I'm one of the mediocre talents that Will has to work with. And really, I'm thinking about looking up Elise myself. Go look at Elise Coaches today and start your career without ending mine. What he said.
The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.